Hello and welcome to another episode of the Asking for a Friend podcast. It's an elder-led ministry of Believer's Baptist Church in Emory, Texas. My name is Duffy Henderson and I'll be your host. The Asking for a Friend podcast exists as a weekly resource for the edification and benefit of God's people. Here we hope to provide helpful, thoughtful, and most importantly, biblical material as we address everyday life questions and issues. If you find this podcast helpful, please take a few moments to share it with someone that you think would also benefit from it. Thanks for listening in, and may the Lord bless this episode greatly to you as a means of grace for your spiritual growth and your benefit. Well, today I am joined uh, back with my favorite co-host, Jason Rowland. We are back in the studio, as it were, and we are jumping back in for this year with some more episodes um, in our church history segment of the podcast. Last year, uh, Jason and I did, I think, five, if memory serves me, uh, character studies a bit um, in some some old dead guys, as we termed it. Uh, we looked at the life of uh, Charles Spurgeon, uh, Adoniram Judson, John Calvin, Martin Luther, and I think that covers it. Bunyan. Uh, John Bunyan as well, yes. And so uh, we this uh, episode is going to be in that same vein, church history. So before we go any further, Jason, welcome to the podcast today. Well, thank you. It's good to be back, Duffy. It's an exciting subject that we're going to be getting into today. It really is. And we're going to be uh, pressed for time to cover what we'd like to talk about. Yes. Um, today, if you've seen the episode title already, um, Why Should I Study Church History? Um, maybe you, uh, listener, maybe you have never really even considered studying church history for yourself. Maybe that's something that, you know, like the pastor does or people in seminary do. And, you know, for us Christians, we need practical Christian living. And that's, you know, I need my devotional book. And that's about the extent of sometimes that we think is helpful for us in our Christian walk. But I think what Jason and I want to bring to you today, and we want to make a case for, is that the studying of church history, even in a in a very simple way, can be super edifying, very helpful, very encouraging for your Christian life today as you learn from and study those who have come, come before us. Jason, do you have any opening thoughts about well, that? Well, it, it, church history is surprisingly accessible. Yes. I mean, men and women um, like you and I, Duffy, we can all approach it. And I think that many people fear history in general because they probably grew up going to a public school and being taught history by a, a football coach. And it's boring. And it can be boring. <laughs> and uh, so they think church history would be boring as well. And it has this feel that it's this record of alien, uh, of an alien time and ancient people. And, 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 the, the truth and the reality of it is the the story of the church is the story of God's people. Amen. It's the story of men and women just like us throughout all of history. And, and Christ came to offer salvation to uh, millions, billions of people. And he's done that in the context of history. It's not been arbitrary. Uh, it's not been neutral. It's been because he had a purpose and still is carrying out that purpose. So it's a great subject to talk about. Yes, amen. I cannot say it better myself. Um, I think just some preliminary thoughts. Why, this is, we're going to be answering this question. Why should I, you as the listener, 
anyone, why should we study church history? Should we study church history? I think the answer would be yes, but the it still remains that why. What's the benefit for me as the Christian? And uh, what Jason and I want to do is offer at least, we may even come up with more of these as we go through, and this is going to be a two-part episode. So this week and next week, uh, we'll be covering all of these reasons. But we want to pr- uh, propose to you six reasons um, why you should study church history. And then we're going to go through these and talk a little bit about each one and hopefully create some interest for you um, and some encouragement to do that. So reason number one is pretty simple. God is the Lord of history. God is the Lord of history. And we're going to unpack all of these as we go. Reason number two, we today are not the first generation of Christians. There's a lot that we could say there as well. I'm excited to talk about that one. Reason number three, we are not the first generations of Christians who have fought for and continued the Christian faith. And those are going to be similar uh, reasons, but they're, they're kind of two different emphases. Reason number four, we can be greatly helped today and encouraged by seeing the faithfulness of God to those who have gone before us. Reason number five, we can be greatly helped and encouraged by anticipating that God will remain faithful to his church today. So reason number four and five are very similar, just different emphases as well. And then finally, reason number six, our understanding of God's word the Bible will be helped as we study church history to see um, how God's word has been handled properly and improperly and what we can learn from those things today. And there's so much in those reasons. But I think today, if you don't have any more opening comments, um, Jason, let's dive into that first reason. Why should I study church history? Reason number one, I think this is super important for us, is that God is the Lord of history. And by that I mean, and I'll toss it over to Jason, by that I mean history is God's history uh, in the sense that he has uh, ordered every step. There's not been a war or a plague or uh, you name it. An event. An event, any event that has been outside of the providential sovereign control and operating hand of God. And I think if we can have that as a foundational starting point when we look back, there's probably some of you today who are fascinated by, like, say, Civil War history or World War II history. I find World War II II history extremely fascinating personally. I love reading. I love hearing stories about heroes that came out of that. But even those, uh, when we, those are outside of specific church history, even those stories and those events happened under God's sovereign providential hand. That's right. And I think for us as Christians today, we need to have that lens as we look back. Jason, what you got? Um, I think we need to keep in mind that, that God promised to keep his church. He, tr- he promised that he would redeem a people. His son was sent in history to redeem those people. And since Jesus has ascended to the Father. We've had the Holy Spirit working in the hearts of people within the context of history. And so um, what what history does is shows that God is faithfully working his plan of redemption. His plan is to redeem men and women. But within that, his means or his venue, if you will, is world history. 
And we see yes. it happening all around it. I mean, we are in the middle of history right now because God is faithful to build his church and God is faithful to carry out his plan yes. of redemption. That's Christ- so good. And, and, you know, Christianity, when we think about it, it's a historical faith. It's not this pie-in-the-sky sort of nebulous um, theology that sort of happens and people get caught up in the moment and there are certain events, but it is really planned by God to bring about uh, the purposes that, that God intends. In fact, I, I think that we could see a, a little bit of the doctrine of history within the scripture. For example, yes. let me just give you one thought. Uh, let me give you two thoughts. Number one, when we read the book of Acts and we come to the end of Paul's life and missionary journey, um, that history doesn't stop there. It, 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 history did not quit. That is, church history did not quit when, pen, when Luke penned those last words of Acts chapter 28. So we know that, number one, there's a, a, a sense that God is continuing to work through history. And I think, number two, we can go back to the Old Testament. And you see where the nation of Israel has crossed the Jordan River as they're about to possess the land. And what does Joshua say? Take up some stones, bring them to the other side, build a monument, if you will. And then that monument would stand as a a symbol of God's faithfulness of what he had done in in the nation of those people. For when their generation is passed on, their kids and their kids and their kids could look at that monument there was something that happened in a real historical time that God saved and brought and protected and kept and kept his promises to a particular people in that time. Right. Yes. So when there's a there's some uh, young boys, they're out looking for ancient arrowheads, and uh, they, they find one or two, and it's next to the Jordan River, and they go back to their grandparents, or, and, and they, they talk to those grandparents, and they say, hey, we found this monument, this stack of rocks that look like they came from the middle of the river. They're all washed flat, smooth. So I know that they're not river rocks from the bank, but they come from the middle of the river. We, I've, we've seen them stack. What is that? And these great-grandparents would say, well, your father, my father, was one of the ones who originally crossed that river and tell the story of God and what happened. Yes. And so I, yes. I think we see a theology of history in Scripture is my point. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And that, that kind of plays right off of what I was saying is if we can understand that God is the Lord of history, um, that history is his history in the sense not that God is, is temporal, but that he has ordained everything that has come to pass um, and that he has out- worked all the circumstances out um, and that gives us cr- comfort as Christians today. Um, that gives us, n- and God is immutable. He is not changing. And so he will continue to do so for us, even as we face challenges today. Right. And we don't always understand what God is doing in history. We don't understand always particular or specific ev- events, you know. Um, the American Civil War you mentioned, uh, war, World War II, um, those kinds of horrific events in which millions of lives are lost and there's brokenness and destruction everywhere. And then what is God doing in history in that time? And so I think we, we recognize that even though we can't always think about how the pieces come together, nevertheless, and you said this before we went on air and started recording, 
God has always been building his church. He's always been accomplishing his plan of redemption. And he's not taking a, a weekend off. He, you know, he doesn't take a coffee break. He's not asleep when something happened and he's caught off guard. Yes. He is always uh, um, um, actively involved in what is happening uh, through the events and, and time of history. Yes. So good. So good. Well, I've got before me um, a small book. Uh, by Sinclair Ferguson, and it's published by Ligonier Ministries. It's called In the Year of Our Lord, and that's referencing to all of the, uh, the, the dating of years after Christ's life, death, and resurrection. And uh, he's got this really great introductory chapter about, uh, basically this covers all of the 2,000 years of, of uh, church history in a very succinct way. And so it's a quite short book. Um, I want to say it's at the 200-page mark. And so each chapter covers a different century. But in his introduction, he says this, and I thought this was really helpful, especially as we're talking about uh, our foundation for seeing church history. He says this, The river of the church's story flows into the whole of our modern world, north, south, east, and west. And what he's, uh, that's kind of a summary statement from what he had said before, but what he's basically saying is just what Jason was saying, is that, um, from Peter and Paul on, uh, they are the, um, aside from Jesus being the fountainheads of the spring, they are the, the first waters that flowed in that river, in, in one sense, uh, for us. And so we can, tra- that stream has never dried up. Right. There's never been a drought for that stream. Although it's probably come to a trickle a few times throughout church history. Um, that stream has been flowing continuously, to use a metaphor. Right. And so what you have, and keeping in mind, that that God is above time in history. Yes. God doesn't need time nor history. Yes. Um, he uses time in history f- for the purposes of redemption, but he's above that. He's outside of time. He's outside of history. So what we see beginning in Genesis 1-1 is God creating history and time and so within the history of the world and the upbuilding of nations and the destructions of nations nation nations and armies marching and inventions and all the things that are happening um there's there's a there's a stream in which he is carrying out his purpose in uh, redemption and so yes the headwaters of the redemption is what we see uh, with um, the Old Testament saints yes. coming into the New Testament with Peter and Paul, and we see the apostles and how the church is built on the foundation of the apostles. And then we see um, all of the lesser known biblical characters, Timothy, Titus, the writer of Hebrews, who are these people, and all yes. the people that are listed in Romans 16 that we're about to get into. Um, Romans 16, Hebrews 11. I think we yes. had mentioned that at one yes. point as well. Yes. Um, and In fact, we'll, we'll, we'll reference that in a moment, but the thing that I'm, I'm trying to convey here is that um, you know, we just got through doing um, a two-part episode on the sovereignty of God. Yes, for our new member series. Yes, and so these two episodes about church history are one example of the sovereignty of God. Yes. He is sovereign in his work of redemption in the context of history. And so what we're doing is we're answering the reason why we need to study 
uh, or read church history. Reason number one, as you stated earlier, is because God is the Lord of history. Yes. And he... Dis- all of it. All of it, <laughs> yes. Um, he displays his sovereignty over all of creation. Amen. Past and present. And uh, he is working. You know, we were talking about the, the podcast and trying to think through all of our thoughts and um, get these reasons down and things like that. And we just begin to get excited about the connections. For example, I'm reading a biography on Davy Crockett. Yes. So I'm a Texas history guy, and the Alamo is sort of a forte and interest of mine. And um, so I'm reading this biography that I had gotten at Christmas, and I realized that there was the timeline of Davy Crockett um, just is the same timeline as William Carey in India. William Carey actually died in 1834. He'd been in India since 1792. Correct. Okay. And Davy Crockett is in Washington in Congress in 1834 when William Carey's dead. But, you know, Davy Crockett then dies in Texas in 1836. And like, it's amazing that, that, that all these different events are happening at the same, same time, time all over the world. Right. And Texas being free from Mexico really doesn't have much immediately to do with the story of redemption. But nevertheless, God is carrying that out sovereignly because then Texas does become a part of the story of redemption with the churches that are formed in Texas. And here we are. Here uh, we are in Texas. Native Texans. Sitting here because the gospel has come to us and transformed us. Yes. It's amazing. That is amazing. And you're sitting there reading and you just have an epiphany moment like, whoa, this is, I have never put these two things together. Yes. I've read about William Carey. And I've read about Davy Crockett. I know both of these men. I appreciate both of these men. But we kind of, I think we, I mentioned this too, is sometimes we read stuff like that and we kind of compartmentalize everything. Like church history and things that Christians do is kind of in its own thing. Right, right. <laughs> and then everything else, what the world does, is in its own thing. Yes. But are we are we tend to make the, everything else in the world... Um, Built into yes. the church history. Yes, yes. And it's sort of, all those other yes. things are insignificant and they yes. get lost. But that's not true. No. And all of it is God's history in right. the sense of what I described earlier. Right. And so let me make another connection real quick. Sure, Duffy, go ahead. You know, the, the fact that the, the second great awakening that came to America and Charles Finney is the, the, the great preacher of the second great awakening. But it's happening uh, in Kansas, in Tennessee, Ohio, and different pockets of um, the United States at that time, right where Davy Crockett lives. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's happening where Davy Crockett is is living most of his life. Western wow. Tennessee is where he grew up. And the Second Great Awakening is happening. So there's revival breaking out in all of these different churches and congregations and missionary groups all of this is happening but I I don't know that Davy Crockett ever came to any kind of saving faith but my point is that he's alive and doing the things that we read about and there's a there's a battle about to happen you know with Texas and there's all sorts of unrest in different states and all of these yeah yeah it's fascinating so so God is (laughs) is sovereign um reading and studying history 
um, I think is a, a worshipful act because we see the fingerprints of God. Uh, we see how he orders circumstances, events. He preserves his people. Yes. This, this is all reasons, again, why we should think about studying and reading and getting involved with church history. Yes, I think that's plenty for that. I'm, uh, we could, I'm sure, talk more and more about yes, that. Yes. But let's move on to our second reason. Reason number two would be we are not today here, you know, for, for us, our listeners, mostly we're in Rains County, Texas, uh, in Emory or surrounding little cities uh, in this area. But we are not... Believe it or not, we are not the first generation of Christians. Right. And what I mean by that is that millions of Christians throughout 2,000 years uh, between the early church and Jesus' ministry have come before us. They've lived, they've died, and they've had children, and they've passed on the, the truths of the Christian faith, and that we ought to be eager to learn from them. Yes. There are people who um, have... Re- um, written. Um, I think about uh, as a music guy, um, one thing that I cherish are uh, my hymnals. And I get to see the um, the product of God giving his people this beautiful creativity to come up with music, lyric, poetry that we sing today um, that has been, that was written hundreds of years ago. Um, and sometimes even thousands of years ago. But most often, most of our hymnals today go back and span back into the medieval era and and, um, subsequent. But I think just as an example, is that we can see that, you know, say a Christian in the 17 or 1800s penned this beautiful hymn and say, wow, this person knows the same Jesus, the same God that I know today. This person was impacted by the same God, the same gospel, and this is what overflowed from their heart. Um, and I get to sing what they penned, you know, long right. ago. Right. Uh, that's an exciting thing for me. Now, there's other ways that we could, right. but we can learn from well, them. Well, let's tie it th- this way, t- tie it together this way, Duffy, in that when we read in Acts chapter 16 um, that Paul is um, on his uh, second missionary journey, And um, we read in verse 6, And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. So the Holy Spirit is directing them and saying, This is not where I want you at this point. And when they had come up to Mycenae, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them there. So what Paul is wanting to do, he's looking at where he is immediately, and the Holy Spirit is not directing him to stay there. So he thinks, okay, I'll go east. Bithynia is east of where he is currently in the context. And the Spirit of Jesus will not let him uh, go that way. So, passing by Messiah, they went down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Look, you and I are sitting here because of that event right there in church history that I just read. This is the history of God's redemption. And so exactly what you had said, the gospel comes west 
we are in the Western Hemisphere, and so the 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 gospel went to Corinth and Greece, and it then went to Rome, and then remember in Rome, Paul's wanting to go to Spain, yes. and then it just continues to travel, and then you and I are birthed into um, a context of Christianity because they've heard the gospel, even as we see where Paul tells Timothy in Second Timothy, remember your grandmother yes. Lois and your mother Eunice, yes. you know? Remember what they had taught you and how from the beginning they taught you the scripture. And we think about how that we have become recipients of the gospel because, as you said, we it, it, it is for all believers. It's we, we are not the first generation. There's been generation after generation, and those generations have been faithful. And so we are required to be faithful. Yes, and I think about, <clears throat> that's a wonderful example, I think about other, other applications of this thought or uh, things that would come from this thought would be something like, um, you and I today are not the first people to read through the Bible and to understand the Bible or try to understand the Bible. Right. We are not the first uh, people to try to figure out how, how church ought to work well. Um, we're not the first generation of Christians who have found, tried to figure out the best way to share the gospel and evangelize. Right. <laughs> we're not the first generation. These are the kinds of thoughts that I, I want to get us out of this narrow mind of like uh, us today in the 21st century live in the most difficult time in world history. Sometimes we think about, man, nobody had it as bad as we did, or we, we think in those kinds of thoughts sometimes. And I think we can learn much from Christians who've gone before us, like a William Carey, like a, you know, we've named some other names. Pick any of the eras of church history. Right. And uh, we would be, what we would find is great encouragement and great admonishment to keep pressing forward because we are just another generation of God's church in line with many, many who've gone before us. Right, and it, it demonstrates to us the power of the gospel yes. to transform lives. Yes. It demonstrates to us the, um, the truth of the word of God that is profitable for teaching reproof, correction, and training in righteousness so that souls are saved, souls are sanctified, and they are um, set apart, they are called, and they, they share the gospel. And they might be a housewife, they might be a butcher, they might be a dairyman, whoever they are. But whatever God is doing, that's their calling, and use that then for the sake of the gospel. Amen. Amen. And so you and I then, as I said, we, we, we are not the first generation of Christians. Yeah, and let's, uh, before we wrap this particular episode up, we're going to continue this in the next episode. Let's bring in, just for a moment, our third reason. And this will be relatively short and quick. It goes with the previous one. That we are not, this is reason number three, we are not the first generation of Christians who have fought for and continued the Christian faith. That's right. In the face of a uh, depraved um, world that's in opposition to us. We're not the first group of Christians, you know, in the world today who've had to face tyranny of some kind, um, government that is is wonky, intrusion, uh, intrusion um, in all just in different types spiritual warfare uh, from from the devil and his demons, and as as he wants to 
to extinguish the flame of the church, as it were. Right. Um, and so there are so many stories, if you read in church history, about how the church has been preserved by God's grace and his power um, that will give us encouragement today to continue pressing on, but also understanding that some of the fights that we have today are not so different than have <laughs> than the church has fought. History is a bit cyclical sometimes. Right. And we can think, oh, wow, this has happened in the past. Let's, let's maybe learn from how this was addressed in the past. And right. It was C.S. Lewis who famously coined that term chronological snobbery. Ah, yes. And so chronological snobbery um, is described, uh, and it's really kind of rampant today in, in the attitudes and the thinking that you were just talking about, Duffy. Uh, we simply think that those who... Um, came before us are less we are more superior yes. than they were yes and, and we we yes. forget that there's a wider path that there's been hundreds who have stood firm for the gospel yes and um i think and for me personally i've, I've seen the that sometimes our generation we think that we've kind of arrived like we've gotten some things figured out that no one else has but right. i think what the op the opposite is true is that we're really uh, under where we need to be in a lot of areas. And Christians who've gone before us have actually addressed this and moved past it. Right. And we've kind of devolved a bit as the, as the church in areas. Right. We, we think that we have all the answers simply by virtue of living when we do. We, we have technology. We have science. We have medical um, you know, technology and benefits and, and those kinds of things. And so um, the church seems to be organized and we have all this slick social media and all these things so that we think we've got all the answer and we can we we can just get uh, to be snobbish yeah and and that, and again forget that there have been those who have gone before us as we're saying in our reason number three that we are not the first generation of Christians to fight for and continue in the Christian faith yeah, and I think one closing comment for this episode would be just as an example that I, I mean, I don't think it would be contestable, but I think it'd be very easy to say that we live in a day and time that there are more Bibles in the world than have ever been in, in world history. But yet, there's probably more um, biblically illiterate people in the world today than ever in world history. Yes, yes. Because Christians don't have to fight for the word of God like they did a thousand years ago when uh, the Bible, as I was just reading with my kids the other day, um, the Bible was against the law to be printed. Uh, you weren't allowed, Christians couldn't have a copy of the Bible. You, right. No one had a Bible. You couldn't read the Bible. Right. It was against the law of the land to own a Bible. And so those kinds of situations cause the church to cherish the word of God in a different way than we do when we have six copies of the Bible in our home. One of them is, you know, beaten up and it's sitting on a coffee table. One's on a shelf that hasn't been opened in a decade. You two know, or three are gifts. Two or three are gifts to you through that the years. mean nothing to you, you know, and I'm, and so there's just a different, uh, reading church history helps, helps us with perspective sometimes in that regard. It, it does. And, uh, you know, I think that um, we just, we, we can just be assured that, that God has always been faithful to his people. Yes. yes. And he'll continue to be faithful to his people. Amen. And we really stand on their shoulders. Yes. 
Well, uh, that, we're going to wrap that one up today, and we're going to bring back the following three reasons in our next week's episode. And that's it for today. Thank you once again, listener, for taking your time to listen to the Asking for a Friend podcast, and we surely hope it's been a blessing to you. Like and share the podcast, as usual, uh, with someone that you know. Please pass it along. And don't forget that you can always submit us a question to answer on a future podcast through our church website, bbcemory.org. Go to the media tab, and there's a place there on the website for you to do that. And as usual, until next time, grace and peace be with you all.